Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hi everybody, welcome to Scattered. Um, I am joined this morning by Juliet and Helen and Mary is on her holidays this week, so we hope you're having a good time, Mary. We are in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 27. And we are on the fifth of our Uncovered Studies. So thanks for joining us. Does one of you feel able to give us a summary of where we're up to in Luke so far? So um, at the start of Luke, it's from chapters one to four. It mainly talks over Jesus's birth and his preparation for ministry. Then from chapters four to nine, it's his ministry in his hometown in Galilee. Um, And then now as we were on last week we were on um the journey to jerusalem we're continuing on that journey and we're getting very close we're almost almost there and the importance of that is jerusalem will be the place where jesus is then killed and he comes back to life Great. Thanks, Juliet. So the section we're looking at today has got three little vignettes in it, three different little sections. And I guess we're going to be trying to work out what the link is and what the theme is between these three. But the first one is a parable. Helen, are you okay just to summarise the first parable for us? Yeah, sure. Uh, This is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And uh, the Pharisee is praying at the beginning and saying, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like other people uh, that are not like the other baddies. Thank you that I'm not like this person over here. And uh, look at all these good things that I do. And then the tax collector is standing um, a little way away and he's just saying, God be merciful to me. Great. Thanks, Helen. So from that, what do we glean from how this Pharisee thinks he gets right with God? He really um, bases his rightness with God based on what he does. And he says, I don't do these bad things like those people over there and like this person, but I do lots of good things. And yeah, you should think I'm great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's, in his prayer, he says, I, five times, doesn't he? It's not a prayer that um, is focused on God. It's very much sort of self-referential. Um, thank you that I am not like everyone else. You know, I do this, I do this. Um, and, yeah, really focusing on the things that he's done and, and pointing out, you know, I fast twice a week and I tithe, and that's actually more than the law requires. So look how great I am. Yeah, I read, um, well, listened to a sermon that described it as the two people in this parable. One of them just came to brag and the other one came to pray. And yeah, that, that's a similar idea, isn't it? To all the I, I, I. Look at what I'm bringing to the table, God. Um, it's challenging, though, isn't it? That I think very often our prayers reveal our hearts. So how does the Pharisee challenge us, ladies? So I think Jesus's response to... Oh, at the end, when he says um, the tax collector went home justified and he says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I think that's extremely challenging because I think often we're prone to want to exalt ourselves. And I, I, I feel 
in this culture as well as the culture in the UK is there's often a lot of comparison between, you know, when you meet a new person, there's a comparison there. And I think um, our hearts like to compare. It's like, am I better than this person or am I doing badly? And it's very self centric rather than actually coming to God and being like, you're the one that gives me everything. And you're the one that justifies us and saves us. So the Pharisee is standing by himself, isn't he? Because he thinks that he's cleaner than everyone else and better than everyone else. Whereas the tax collector is standing off because far off, that's what it says, isn't it? He stood far off because of a sense of unworthiness. Um, You know, he can't even look towards God's presence. He can't even look up. He's doing this sort of beating his breast, this outward sign of of um, repentance and contrition and sorrow. And and it's this really challenged me the way these two people pray because it made me think, is my is my passion in my prayer for my agenda for God's? When when I'm praying, am I saying my will be done? Yeah, sometimes I think it can we think we're praying fervently. God's will to be done actually we're just praying the desires of our own hearts which isn't always a bad thing is it but yeah we need to be careful yeah it isn't really challenging isn't it that the posture of our hearts really matters as we pray um and yeah that bless my agenda God because I know best is not acceptable is it but yeah the, it's a beautiful picture isn't it of the tax collector who knows he brings nothing who knows that his life isn't um worthy but yet just pleads for mercy yeah, yeah. and that the, the contrast as well between the pharisee and the tax collector with that knowing his unworthiness and then he you know jesus just says um this man went down to his house justified so he was praying. He was like, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I, when I was reading about it, it said that that phrase, be merciful to me, literally was like, please make an atonement for me. It's not like, be kind to me. It's like, please save me. That man gone home justified simply by repenting and asking for forgiveness. And um, in comparison to the Pharisee, who's still really holding on to that law to save himself. That, that contrast between the two, you know, like Jesus basically hinting at how the temple is becoming obsolete because of because of Jesus and what he's come to do. Yeah, and it's just so stark, isn't it? The contrast between the man whose hands are full of all these good works and all his righteousness and the man whose hands are empty but is pleading for mercy. And yeah, I just find that such a helpful picture of, basically what Jesus says is that's the right way to approach God, isn't it? With empty hands, but pleading for mercy and knowing that he's the merciful one rather than I'm the good one. Um, yeah, it's challenging, isn't it? Um, okay, let's then move on to the next little section where Jesus is, um, people are bringing children to Jesus and Jesus's disciples are not having it. They're trying to get rid of the children and send them away. But Jesus then um, says, no, no, let the children come to me for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Why do you think, ladies, the disciples were so anti-children? 
I didn't think it was just the disciples. I think it was mainly, it was just the whole society at the time felt that children were a burden until they were productive and could contribute to family life, to the society. Um, so the disciples are just taking on what's going on around them and agreeing with it. And Jesus is just flipping they're saying people's worth comes from what they contribute. And Jesus is saying, no, your worth doesn't come from that. It comes from somewhere else. So Yeah. And children were seen as, you know, inferior beings, like not even really fully and truly human. And so, you know, um, Jesus in this section is speaking to effectively the socially marginalized. So then he says this line about, um, truly I say to you, anybody who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And there has been a lot of ink spilt over what it is about children that we're supposed to emulate and what it is about children that Jesus is extolling. Where have you landed on that, ladies? I I found it interesting. I don't know if your version said people were also bringing babies to Jesus. Yeah, something I read said the word for child there is like a child in arms. So it's that sort of age of child that needs to be carried. Yeah. So I think sometimes, I think what you're getting at is sometimes people are saying you have to be as innocent as a baby to approach Jesus, or you have to have faith like a baby, like put your trust in Jesus like a baby to come to him. But I think actually, I don't think those are the the is the heart of what um, this passage is trying to tell us. I think what this passage is telling us is that actually we need to be totally dependent like a baby. Babies can't feed themselves. They can't. These babies had to be carried to Jesus. They can't even walk to him. And yet he's wanting that from us. He's wanting that dependence on him for everything because we do. In reality, we depend on him for breath, for life, for each day so he's wanting us to realize that and actually live like that's the truth yeah because it's connected with the the parable we just looked at isn't it um the 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 tax collector is saying just save me i have nothing i can do nothing just save me and then the children are coming and children are seen as effectively being helpful helpless and that's what Jesus is calling us to. Jesus is saying, come with empty hands, come recognizing your helplessness, your worthlessness, your inability to do anything. Because I guess you could look at it and say, oh, you know, this Jesus is saying here that children have value. Well, he does say that, but actually the point is how we are supposed to approach God. Yeah, and I was um, when I was reading up on this, the um, book I was reading was saying actually so often in the Gospels Jesus is pretty dogmatic, and this is one of those instances where whenever he says truly before a statement, then he's saying something that's very um, countercultural, and there's not really much wiggle room in it. And it's here again, isn't it? Truly, I tell you, anyone who won't come helpless won't be able to enter God's kingdom. And that's, yeah, it's strong, isn't it? But you're right, Helen. I think it links in beautifully to the parable before where the guy that has got his hands full leaves not justified, whereas the helpless dependent tax collector goes home right with God. 
So yeah, it is a beautiful picture of a child, isn't it? That needs everything done for them. And I guess a baby hasn't yet learned the desire to justify themselves, which is a good thing, which I just think every adult really struggles with, don't we? That desire to prove ourselves and to make a name for ourselves. And that's not the way of God's kingdom. Okay, the third little story is slightly different um, in that it's a very rich, um, influential man that approaches Jesus and asks him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus calls him out on the fact that he's called him good because he says only God is good. And then they have this little um, to and fro about Jesus says, well, you know what you need to do? And it's like at GCSE level, this guy's like, yeah, I've passed that. I can do that. And then Jesus ups the level to A-level standard. And the guy's like, oh, I, I don't think I can do that. Um, so, because because basically the challenge Jesus gives him is sell everything that you have and give your money to the poor and then you'll have treasure in heaven. And the guy left sad because he was very wealthy. So this is a totally different type of um, person. What do you think um, we're supposed to learn here? Yeah, I think one challenge that he brings is that this guy on surface level looks great. He keeps the law that's visible. Um, he honours his parents. He does all the things that he should do. And then Jesus brings a deeper challenge. He sees where this guy is actually what he's living for because he has lots and lots and lots of money and Jesus is like do you really because the 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 greatest commandment I think him this story is told in other gospels and he says the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart um and here this man is not loving God with all his heart he's loving his money and so Jesus is pressing that challenge to a much deeper level do you actually love me or and are you doing all these good things because you love me or are you doing all these good things for other reasons and so he's really he sees into the rich ruler's heart and he sees into our hearts as well right so it's a big challenge yeah and i was struck by you know, Jesus knows, if, if we've seen in those first two parables that what Jesus wants is our dependence, he knows, doesn't he, that it's this man's money that's making him independent. And this man's money is what he's putting his confidence in and where he is resting his heart. And I just thought, again, we see like we've seen so many times, Jesus really sees into our hearts, doesn't he, and knows what it is that we are bringing or thinking we can rest on. And that's where the challenge comes. Shall I say something? I think um, there's a line that this rich ruler says as well. He says, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And it's quite, it's quite um, stark, isn't it? Because it's like, you know, I've always been a good boy <laughs> and look how great I am. So it reflects, again, the first um, guy in the, um, who is praying to God saying, look how great I am. I do this and this and this and this. Actually, he's also saying a similar thing because he's saying all these things I have kept since I was a boy, look how great I am. And he's not wanting Jesus to challenge him more, but 
he's yeah the response when jesus does challenge his the thing that he's clinging on to is yeah he goes away sad what just stepping back from this parable a little bit into the cultures that we're living in right now what so riches i think would be one thing that people would depend on what other things do you think there are that um our culture values or people would try and bring to justify themselves? Well, I think our good works, you know, a lot of the time when not only Christians, but non-Christians as well, when you talk to people about God and Jesus and the Christian faith, so often they'll say, but I'm a good person. I don't kill people. I don't do this. I don't do that. Um, But, you know, this parable, what Jesus shows the this ruler here is, if you break the first commandment, you're breaking them all. And so when you think about that, if you break, if we break the first commandment, we're breaking them all. There is absolutely nothing that we can do about it if we break the first one. And the reality is, is that we all do. And so when we bring, you know, I, for me, I'm serving abroad um i have the profession i have i'm a i'm a doctor you know all these things it's so easy for me to be like i'm a good person lord look at this good thing i did today but simply by saying that i'm breaking the first commandment and therefore everything i do is completely worthless yeah but i think that's right helen i think sort of career or intellectualism would be a massive thing that people seek to prove themselves with, wouldn't it? Or seek to um, justify themselves with. Are there any specific things in the culture you're in, Juliet, that would be different? No, uh, work is a very, yeah, people justify themselves in the work that they do, but also um, in their children's, um, however, I think children reflect uh, who parents are and so people take a lot of pride in their children um so I think that that is a danger for us as well yeah yeah I so I guess then flipping this on its head what Jesus is saying and Jesus is offering isn't he is a life where we're free from this desire to justify ourselves and to bring to the table what we've achieved because we rest in Jesus and what he's achieved on our behalf. How do you think we can be better at living? Because that's actually really countercultural, isn't it, at the minute? Because there's so much in our culture about you have to prove yourself and be good enough. And I think that's so enhanced by social media and by the sort of be who you want to be culture that is really dominant at the minute. What do you think it looks like for us as Christians to be free from that And how can we grow in that living differently? Because we don't need to justify ourselves. I think it's partly checking our motivation for doing things, um, checking our motivations when we're praying. Why do I want to do this thing? Is it because I want to look good? Is it because I want a better, um, is it because I want more letters after my name? Is it because I want this person to think that I look good? etc um or is it because actually i think i can better serve god's people um by doing this thing or saying this thing you know is this thing going to build up 
is it going to tear down? Is this thing God-centred or is it me-centred? The other thing I was reflecting on a little bit is this sort of, it it freezes, doesn't it, to take risks if we're dependent, you know, if our key motive is to be dependent on the Lord, then we can do things that feel risky to us or feel outside of our comfort zone because we're not doing it to prove ourselves, to make a name for ourselves, but we're doing it on independence on him. And so in some ways that can lead us to live very free, can't it, in taking risks because when our focus isn't on succeeding and doing something brilliantly, but it's depending on him and stepping outside of our comfort zone. Mm. And that's super helpful, isn't it, when we're thinking about sharing? So, um, especially, I think, in the UK, less so here, because matters of faith are a daily conversation where I am. But in the UK, I think so frequently, I have been prevented from sharing, not, not like necessarily the whole school, but from sharing general because of how I look. Juliet, how, what's, this, what's been the challenge in this sort of call in these three passages to depend, like coming helplessly and depending on the Lord rather than yourself? Oh, I think there's a daily challenge because I feel like, yeah, on a daily basis, I think of myself <laughs> and I think of, you know, how can I better myself or what am I doing? And, um, yeah, thinking a lot about me, 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 me. Whereas, yeah, this is a real reminder that actually we can come to him free and that gives us the power then to do things in a way that we can want to glorify him rather than think about how can I promote my name or how can I be better at doing what we doing what we do um, serving overseas rather than for my own benefit, but for his name. I think that's a real challenge and a daily, daily need for for prayer and for um just that reminder of reorientation. Um yeah. It's hard, isn't it? Because I guess naturally speaking, we are like the Pharisee, aren't we, who want to go uh, rehearse our good deeds. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's really helpful, Julia. It's a daily, isn't it? Emptying of ourselves. And um, I was talking to a friend this week about that passage at the beginning of John's gospel, where John the Baptist says, I must decrease and Jesus must increase. And we were just saying that's such a helpful thing to be praying each day, isn't it? That we are able to empty ourselves of ourselves and be filled up with Jesus. And I think this also speaks to, you know, like, I feel like we're speaking as three women who are fairly uh, secure in our abilities to do stuff and achieve stuff. But this also speaks to people who feel like they can't do things. They don't have skills or, you know, like they're so they struggle so much with mental health that they can't do daily functional things. But this speaks to them, too. That you know, Jesus just says, that's OK. Just come to me. Because the whole thing about this rich ruler, you know, yes, you've done all these things, but you need to sell everything. Basically, you need to fall into poverty and you need to fall out of your socioeconomic standing to remove yourself from that situation. Become nothing and follow me. That's literally the to-do list. Recognize your helplessness, follow me. And you don't need to be competent to be able to do that. Or you don't need to be able to think you're competent in order to do that. 
Yeah, that's beautiful, Helen. It's another reminder, mm-hmm. isn't it, that the gospel's for everybody and Jesus, um, yeah, sees into our hearts and calls us to lay ourselves down and to just walk towards him. Um, thanks so much, ladies. I think we'll be joined with, by Mary again next week. So um, hope everybody has a good week and thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.